0: good morning, Cypress Bible Church. It's a privilege to stand before you today. Uh, I'm excited about all that God is doing in Cypress Bible Church. And as we enter into this series, Compelling Love, uh, our desire is to pursue God's perfect will for our lives, to live out all that God has set before us to accomplish, uh, to see his will be done, to see his kingdom come. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about compelled to love our neighbor. And uh, Kim's testimony was, was amazing. It's a powerful example of, of what we all should be doing in loving our neighbor. Uh, when we started the series, for the love of Christ compels us, since we reached this conclusion, that, all, that one died for all, And therefore all have died." Now when we do our training here at Cypress Bible Church in our GO ministry, uh, we have a whole bunch of acronyms, and some of them get a little bit confusing, but the acronyms are meant to help uh, bring these teachings to to memory. And one of the things that we do is, is we want to train people in four areas. And so we, we use the acronym of C4, right? So we want to blow people up. Okay, but it helps us to remember these, C, these four Cs. The, the first one is competence. So you have, to have the, you have to have the skills before you can call somebody to do something. So in terms of evangelism, like we want you to have a gospel tool. Uh, but many churches give out gospel tools all the time, and then people don't go share the gospel. Um, so we have to help them to grow in confidence you have confidence you have the skills now you grow in confidence and you begin to say i can i can do this and you come to this point where you're you're committed i've got the skills i've got the confidence now i need to go do it right and then once you start to do it something changes for Miss Kim, I'm sure the first time she shared the gospel, it was a little intimidating. But then after the first time, it gets a little easier, and it gets a little easier. And then you come to a point where you say, I can't not do this. And so we use uh, convicted. And I think this, this convicted could be compelled. It's this idea that you cannot not do this any longer. You're, you are, again, you're press. You, you There's no other option. You're convicted. You are compelled to do this. Uh, But it's it's grounded and rooted in the love of God, of who God is. That's why we do this. We We don't do works to earn God's love. We love God, and God loves us, and that produces the good works. And so when we started the series, we, we kind of, uh, we started looking at some of these ideas of what does compelling love mean. Uh, and when I first preached the compelling love, we, we ended with verse 15 here, and it says, He died for all those um, who live, should no longer live for themselves, but for one who died for them and rose them again. Now, when I preach this, I, 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 I preach from a position of universal atonement, uh, but there are other positions. Some would take a limited atonement. But the, the, but the idea is, is Christ died for his elect. Christ died for his elect. And, and election is a, is a complicated term that can mean many things to different theological positions, and that's okay. I think when we, when we look at the scale of uh, doctrinal positions, we come to some different conclusions. Uh, but what I want us to, to come back to is this idea of Theology matters. Theology is is so important. It helps us and informs how we view Scripture. And more importantly, Scripture informs how we develop our theology. It helps us to to understand how we see God, how we see and interpret the, the world and people, humanity. And so what we have to say about all of these things are we're going to be making theological statements. It also helps us when we deal with life circumstances. Where is God when tragedy strikes? Our our theology is going to inform how we answer that question. And there is a range. Some would say God's not involved at all. He's kind of the, the divine clockmaker. He created, wound it up, and just let it, and let it go. The, in the middle of that, that scale would be God created and is active in his creation, but he has given man responsibility, and he expects us to respond to that in certain ways. And then on the far end of the scale, God created and caused all things. He, the view of sovereignty where, where He is in control of every human action and every event throughout history. And I think as a church, we probably fall somewhere more in in the middle of that. But there's some nuanced views, and that's okay. The the challenge for us, though, is are we wrestling with these ideas? Because they're important. We We can never say it doesn't matter, because it does. And I can say that because God says it matters. Theology, the study of God, theos, God. What do we say about God and how he's interacting with his people? And so I think when we come to the parable of the Good Samaritan, it gives us a picture, one, of who God is and how he's interacting with his creation, and it's important. If we're going to be compelled by love we have to know and experience the love of God, that we can live that out. We can't love the neighbor as a command. And I think we'll see that in this parable this morning. So the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, uh, 25 through 37. Let's take a look at that this morning. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound his wounds, poured on him oil and wine, And he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man who fell amongst the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So, the, the story of the, the Good Samaritan is probably one of the most well known parables uh, in the scriptures. Uh, it's known globally, even for non Christians. They've, they've heard this story. And some would use it to say that it's a call to, to care for the poor and the downtrodden, and the hurting, and, the, and it, it is certainly that, but it is much, much more. The the early church uh, kind of interpreted this almost allegorical, and they had some, some interesting, but kind of some obscure things to say about it. Uh, most of the church father treated the parable of the Good Samaritan as an allegory uh, with Christological interpretation. It identifies the Good Samaritan with Jesus, the oil and the wine with the sacraments, the inn as the church showing that God's mercy may be found only in the sacraments of the church. By binding up the wounds of the man, the Samaritan shows that he uh, has the remedy for healing. The next day when he arrives is the Lord's day, the day of resurrection. And the two pence were given to him uh, to represent the two testaments that were preaching the gospel. For the innkeeper uh, is a steward of the mysteries. Um, now, that's a very interesting way to interpret this passage. And, and I think sometimes when we read scripture, we try to assign things to different... Uh, but I think this goes way, 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 way beyond the text, right? So the church fathers had some really good things to say, but sometimes... Um, we have, a, we have a better, more informed way of looking at these scriptures now. And as a church, we, look, we, we interpret through the historical method. So we take the passage in context, and we have to extract what is, what is God saying to us here. And I don't think we view this as an allegory. God is certainly speaking to us here, but he has something specific to say.
1: And so the first thing we have to ask, what kind of writing is this? It's parabolic. a lot of people. Why does God speak in parables? Because it's understand maybe a deeper meaning that we can hold on to, kind of like my C4. In Matthew, uh, the Because to you, to them, their ears are hard of hearing.
0: They might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Now this sounds like a very strange thing like jesus doesn't want to heal them like is that not his mission to seek and to save the lost well certainly that that is his mission but how again we respond to the love of god is is important and he's seeking those who will humble themselves those who desire to fall under his his lordship his sovereignty and then and these rulers of this day these religious rulers were seeking to glorify themselves, and, and they were seeking to impress upon the people, really, bondage. This man in a parable. And many of the parables speak of redemption and God's kingdom. And he's hiding these things from the wise and the learned, but he's revealing them to the simple fishermen, tax collectors. These are, these are the disciples. But God has a redemptive theme throughout all of these. And so I think when we come to this parable, we have to understand, first and foremost, it is a parable revealing God's redemptive plan. It's salvific. The, the, The law lawyer, right, asked the question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a salvific question, that's, that's redemptive in nature. And so Jesus flips it back on this lawyer. Again, the lawyer, I don't think, just randomly shows up and says, hey, there's that Jesus guy. Let me go ask him a question. I'm really curious. I think he was probably seeking out. Uh, the rulers in Jerusalem were trying to trip up Jesus. And they, they had many instances where they were trying to ask him difficult questions, thinking that they could somehow trip him up. Uh, and Jesus usually answers with a question. What does the law say? Right? This guy's a lawyer. He's probably not the lawyer in the, in the way that we would think of a lawyer. Uh, he's probably a lawyer in that he's a scribe. He probably knows the law inside and out. He's studied it, right? And so he's coming to try to trick Jesus. Uh, but he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now what is this? This is, this is the Shema, right? This, this is the Shema. <laughs> this comes from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, and, and this would be like for us almost like the Lord's Prayer. You know, the, before a football game, they would have been, you know, they would have been praying the Shema. Um, this is this is something they they would repeat over and over at any any occasion, any instance where you're you're coming together as a family. They would have been they would have been praying this prayer. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and set them as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your city gates. And so, back in the day, uh, Hobby Lobby did great business selling these signs that they could hang on their, on their door, not really, no, they didn't have Hobby Lobby back then, sorry. Um, but for us today, that's the kind of the idea, is we don't hide our Christianity, they didn't hide their Judaism at this time, they, they let everybody know, here's who I am. Uh, something similar for us might be, we wear a cross. Hopefully that's because you're a Christian, but it's also a fashion statement, so it doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, But the idea is the Shema was you're continually focusing on the love of God and the focus that you are the people of God. New Testament context, we have become the people of God through this covenant that God fulfills through the Old Testament and the coming of the Messiah. God reveals his glory through his Son. He dies on the cross for our sins and is risen from the grave. And the scriptures say, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And God's ultimate goal in uh, redemption, when we, when we talk about the word predestined or election, uh, I believe that God, before the foundation of the world, has chosen a people for himself. Who are these people? all who come to him in repentance and faith. God knows. God God operates both above time, God the Father and God the Son interacts in time, space, and history to bring about God's redemptive plan. So God knows the beginning from the end, and he calls all who come to him, faith and repentance, his elect. And so in a sense, he has predestined them. And again, there are several different views on this as to whether God pre-selected them or whether God knew that by faith we would trust in him. And I think both positions have a place in scripture and we have to wrestle with these things. Uh, But it doesn't have to separate us, it should unify us. And recognizing that at the center of that, God is still sovereign and in control. And whether he know and hence selected or whether by faith we chose him and became his elect, at the end, it doesn't really matter. We trust in a redeeming God who loves us, so when He's giving this uh, this parable to to this lawyer, He's doing it for a specific reason. Reason, uh, Matthew twenty-two. Here we go again. In Matthew twenty-two forty, it says, "All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands." So this the Shema is the central focus of what of who God is and what he's called us to. Love the Lord your God. Why did God create? Because he loves us. We are all created in his image. He has knit all of us in our mother's womb. And we are image bearers of a holy God. And so he created out a loving relationship is what he desired. But obviously sin corrupted that. And the Shema is summed up in two things. In Romans 13, 9 through 10, it says the commands are summed up in this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is fulfilled, is the fulfillment of all the law. So at the, at the heart of this message, God is saying love is the most important thing. I have loved you. Now go and love. But the lawyer uh, responds and he tries to trick up Jesus and he says, Well, who is my neighbor? And he gives this he gives this parable. The priest. And the Levite, religious leaders, how do they respond in love? Well, they don't. They, they walk on by. They pay no attention to the man who has been beaten and is almost dead. Uh, now, we can kind of surmise as to why they would do that. Uh, as religious leaders. If, if this man were to die, then they would be unclean and unable to, to go into the temple, unable to practice out their, their, their religiosity in the way that they're accustomed to. And so they may have just said, hey, it's just not, it's just not worth it. We don't want to risk being associated with death in any way. Um, could have been they just didn't have time, didn't care. Uh, we don't really know other than we know that they walked by. Now, unfortunately, We're we're living in a culture where we see all these videos where people are just walking by as people suffer and are in need. I think it it is despicable and goes against the very heart of who God is and how we are to interact with one another. Um, Now, if we're lucky, People will whip out their cell phone and, and they would have been taking a picture of the, of the Good Samaritan to post on their fake Facebook page like, look at this guy, he got robbed and is almost dead. <laughs> like, 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 like. Uh, and that's the world we live in right now. We don't really care about somebody else's tragedy, but we love to share it with others. It's repulsive and should never happen. And so that's a, that's a lesson for us that when we see somebody in need, if we have experienced and know the love of God, can we walk by and not help? I think we're called to. I'm not saying don't be wise; we have to be wise, uh, and we have to be careful. But we don't want to be by, like the priest and the Levite, these religious leaders who just walk by. The Samaritan, though, walks by, and he had compassion. He tends the wounds, he puts on oil and wine, which were not necessarily cheap items. He uh, sets him on his donkey, so he gives up his own his own comfort and he brings him to an inn. And then he he pays the price. He tends to his wounds, he stays the night in the morning he leaves, but before he leaves he gives the innkeeper some more money. Now, for us, I think sometimes we would say, man, that's an inconvenience. I don't, I don't know that I have the time or the, maybe the resources to do that, but the idea is this man went above and beyond the call of duty to take care of this man. Above and beyond. And I think that's what God has called us to. He's called us to go above and beyond. Beyond our resources. Beyond our finances, beyond our time, beyond our comfort zone, and beyond our convenience. It's not convenient to love your neighbor. It's much more easy to pull into your garage and shut the door and live in your own little kingdom. But it's not what God has called us to Jesus very clearly came. He didn't didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. And so this religious leader is given a parable because it was not his time to understand the things of God. Um, But does that mean that God didn't love this man? I don't think so. I think it is in God's redemptive plan, it's also about God's timing. God's timing in everything. He spoke to other religious leaders in parables because he's hiding the mysteries of God to them. But he's revealing it to the disciples, men that he had chose, that he had been given by God for God's redemptive plan and purposes. And why wouldn't he reveal it to these religious leaders? Because Jesus is submitting to the perfect will of the Father. Right? The perfect will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? Jesus knew where he was destined. He was destined for the cross. And so these religious leaders were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so God doesn't reveal the truth for a redemptive purpose and plan. But as we see upon the death bear on resurrection, something different happens. In Acts 2:36 through 47, "Therefore let the house of Israel know with certain that God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah." When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. What must we do? So in God's perfect timing, he brings redemption to Israel, to the religious leaders. In Acts 6, 7, it says, So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So in God's perfect time, he brings redemption and makes it available to all. No distinction. Poor, rich, rich. Unlearned, knowledgeable, average person, priest. God's redemptive plan is for all, and he makes it available for all. So in his perfect time, he's, he's revealing his truth to all of humanity. But this parable has, I think, deep meaning for us, because what does it mean? We recognize that, that Jesus is the Good Samaritan, right? He is the one helping He is the one giving. A lot of times I think we assign ourselves as, well, we're to be the good Samaritan. But again, remember, this this, this is redemptive. There's a redemptive, a salvific theme in this. So the message is, we would probably walk on by, but Jesus didn't. He saw a need and he met it. He was there and he went above and beyond. And in our heart of hearts, we wouldn't. But God has. So the redemptive theme that that this this lawyer is probably missing is he said, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to obey this law. But when God gave the Ten Commandments, did anybody ever obey it? Not a one. None have fulfilled it. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And we all fall, fall short too. So the redemptive theme in this passage isn't, isn't that we can just love our neighbor and, and somehow God's going to be pleased with us. We have to recognize that we can't love our neighbor in the way that God desires. So we have to submit and surrender to him and confess, God, I don't love my neighbor the way I should. But thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death and his resurrection and new life. And I want to now abide fully in him. And that compels us to love. We can't find that kind of love on our own. We have to find it at the source. And Jesus is that source the Holy Spirit that He promises that would indwell us is the source. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we come to Him, He gives us this new life. And now He calls us His ambassadors. He's reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are God's ambassadors. So, If we are to love our neighbors, we have to first recognize the source of that love, and it is God himself. And it allows us to see our neighbors in the way we should. Somebody for whom Christ has died and is in need of salvation, just as in Kim's testimony. It's powerful. Our neighbors need to know the love of God. They have to first see that love in us, and we have to be transformed by it so that we can love in the way that God desires for us to love. And so we have some, some challenges uh, this week. Love your neighbor. S- keep it simple, right? Uh, for me, it's keep it simple, stupid. Invite your neighbor over for, for coffee, have a meal with them, go to the park, talk to your neighbor. Starting a conversation is always a good thing. Find out who they are, what they're about, what's their job. Just start a conversation. And so for our theology in action is to invite uh, a neighbor, interact with your neighbor, uh, memorize Romans ten 13. Uh, We're going to read through 1 John this week. We're encouraging you to read that every day. It only takes about 10, 15 minutes. And spend time daily in prayer. And then this next week, we also have a couple opportunities. We have the Maids to Multiply training. This is a short training from 10 to to 1. It'll help you to understand how to start these gospel conversations. Uh, How do you go to the park and have a conversation with somebody that would lead to gospel? How do you invite a neighbor over for tea and and then transition to a gospel without it being awkward or overly religious? Because I think that's what we're all scared of. You don't want to just invite your neighbor over and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. That would be really awkward. Uh, But there are ways that you can kind of transition to that conversation. And we want you to to be able to do that comfortably. We want you to have confidence, confidence, confidence. We want you to be committed and compelled. And then we also have a trauma healing training during the same time uh, from 10 to 1. And this is, how do you deal with trauma and use the gospel narrative to deal with trauma? using scripture and and Bible passages and storying uh, to deal with people that have experienced trauma. Uh, So if you know people who have experienced trauma, which is basically everybody, uh, this is a great tool to learn how to do that. Um, So our challenge this week is to be compelled by the love of God to love our neighbor. Well, Father, we come into your presence this morning and we pray that you would move in the hearts of your people, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would experience your love as you've demonstrated through your son Jesus, who gave up his life on the cross because of his deep and abiding love that he has for us. We thank you, Lord, that he has risen from the grave, that he has overcome sin and death, And that through faith we can be your children. And we can love in the way you have loved. Because we've seen that love demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ. So help us to love. Help us to love. To be compelled by your love. To love your word. To love your church. To love our friends and to love our neighbors. Lord, continue to compel us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To speak boldly the gospel that has the power to save all who believe. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.